Hello, welcome to episode number 23 of Making Media Now, the Filmmakers Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. My guest on this episode is filmmaker, professor, and author, Gerard McClendon. Gerard's debut documentary film, Forgiving Cain, is a deeply personal examination about what it means to forgive an almost unimaginably painful wrong. In this case, the murder of your parents by armed assailants. This is Gerard's lived reality. Here is how Gerard described the film in a recent fundraising appeal. I'm Gerard McClendon, asking for your support of a documentary film on forgiveness. My parents, Milton and Ruby McClendon, were murdered in a home invasion by two teenage gang members just before I went on air at CLTVWGN. The journey to forgiveness started when I lost my greatest heroes, my parents. With your support, the film Forgiving Cain will heal those who've lost a loved one to homicide. In this film, several families will speak on their pain, promote prevention of gun violence, and explain their willingness to forgive. My parents did not die in vain. And if you feel strongly about forgiveness and ending violence, make your tax-deductible contribution to the production of this film at ForgivingCain.com. Stop gun violence, heal the world, and let the forgiving begin. Now in post-production, the film will be released in late 2021. Along with being a filmmaker, professor, and author, Gerard is also a cancer survivor. He spoke to me from his home in Chicago. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. And now on to my conversation with Gerard McClendon. Hello and welcome, Gerard McClendon, to Making Media Now. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. It's uh, it's great to be speaking with you, particularly since you are an FC member. And we always love to check in with uh, Filmmakers Collaborative members uh, to see what's keeping them busy and where their thoughts are around the state of media in general. You and I first chatted a couple years back about your documentary, Forgiving Cain, and it was in the uh, production stage at that point. Um, I know you were also fundraising at that point. Um, where are things now with Forgiving Cain? So with Forgiving Cain, we're in post right now. Uh, we're, we're in a very good position. Uh, our editors are hard at work finishing the film up. Uh, we got some amazing interviews from people who were, uh, you know, the victims uh, and victims' families. And the interviews are just priceless of these families losing a loved one to homicide and then forgiving the uh, perpetrator and the murderer of their loved one. So these, uh, these interviews will just be priceless once the film is released. And as I mentioned, we're in post right now. Uh, we're also going through legal as well, just to make sure that all that we have all rights for the film, uh, locations and things of that nature and uh, uh, tightening up things on the E&O end. And uh, things are looking up. Things are looking up. We really appreciate 
the wow, just the cooperation and the the engine that filmmakers collaborative um, provided for us. Uh, we really appreciate that. And uh, so things are going well for this film. And we we look to a uh, late fall, early winter release. That's great to hear. So for our listeners, uh, just to provide some context, bring us up to speed on what the uh, what the premise of the film is. The premise of the film is how to forgive a murderer. You know, uh, we find that we can forgive people of other things, things that are much smaller. Uh, We can forgive old high school friends for things that they did to us or whatever. But when it comes to something as dastardly as murder, sometimes it's just hard to forgive. And so you had a, a personal experience with. Absolutely. In 2009, in October, my parents were murdered after a home invasion and uh, they were murdered by two black gangster disciples who uh, decided to, uh, you know, put a ruse together and and um, uh, rob my parents. And it became a very brutal uh, murder. Uh, my parents were found in a forest preserve uh, in Illinois near Chicago. And uh, the uh, perpetrators were on the run for about six days and uh, they were caught on the day of my parents' funeral. You know, uh, it's, it's something that's of course difficult to relive, but on the day that it occurred, Um, You know, there's cameras everywhere. There's TV reporters everywhere, newspaper. You know, they're all trying to get interviews of family members and myself. And, you know, uh, WGN Channel 9 uh, came to my house and they said, well, what do you think about this? And I said, you know what? I said, no matter what happens, I said, I don't know who these perpetrators are, but we forgive the murderer uh, of my parents. And you're in Chicago. You just mentioned WGN. So just to, again, provide some context for our listeners, you're speaking to me from Chicago and you yes. work in television. Yes, I do. At the time I was uh, doing my own show, Gerard McClendon Live on CLTV, WGN. And uh, there was a hush in the newsroom when this occurred. Other people in the newsroom knew before I even knew. And uh, they allowed my wife to call me and give me and to, to, to deliver the news, you know. and so. This film is born out of that pain and that struggle and that willingness to forgive uh, for something as heinous as a murder. Uh, Wasn't an over spiritual thing. You know, I'm driving home after I find out the news and, uh, you know, I, I can't explain it. I mean, I'm on the Dan Ryan Expressway. The sun comes out and uh, this Picture came in my mind like Gerard when you get home, man, there's going to be cameras everywhere. There's going to be news crews. You know, you got to tell them something encouraging. And uh, I just said that I forgive the perpetrator. Did that feel like it made logical sense to you? Could you were you even questioning your own impulse to forgive? How did that feel in the immediacy of the moment? Mm -hmm. It wasn't logical to forgive anyone of a family member's murder at all. It to this day is still not really logical. It's more spiritual than anything. Uh, I don't second guess. I don't question myself uh, to this day. I still forgive these two people uh, that did this, uh, who uh, of course 
justice system got to them and uh, they were sentenced to 120 years in prison. But that has little to do. Like I always tell people, well, how could you forgive? Do you want them to be released from prison? I said, no, the justice system has to do what it does. And I have to do spiritually what I do. I forgive the perpetrators, but but I still need to know that they're going to stay in prison the rest of their lives. Were there people close to you in your life that obviously had been impacted by the by the brutal murder of your parents that took issue with your ability to forgive? Oh, a lot of people took issue, you know, friends, family members, um, you know, people who were um, fans of the show, you know, like, how dare you? How do you do that? You know, these guys are the scum of the earth. They're they're gangster disciples. You know how, you know, they they used your parents, you know, uh, uh, as, you know, as objects, you know, they robbed them and beat them and shot them. You know, and I said, you know what? I say, you're right to all of that. But at this point, I still forgive the perpetrators. You know, it's it, the only way I'm going to heal as a person is to let it go. If somebody had said to you a few weeks or a few months or maybe even a few years before this event that, Gerard, this event's going to take place, but you're going to forgive the murderers. Would that have surprised you? Did you discover something about yourself during that process? That's a great question. If if I would have if if there were prescient thought, if I would have known beforehand, probably never would have happened. You know, me forgiving someone that murders my parents doesn't even make sense to me. Uh, but after the fact, make perfect sense to me. You have to understand when a person forgives. Sometimes it's not even a conscious decision. It's just something that is done. You know, it's kind of like someone drowning in a swimming pool. You run to them without thinking. You're trying to get safety for that person. You're going to jump in and swim to get them. You're going to throw them a life preserver. You're going to do something. It has nothing to really do even with conscious thought. It has all to do with instinct. Instinct, And and the, the, the forgiveness Yes, people have put it into a category. Oh, he's a Christian. You know, he's a lover of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Gerard McClendon forgave. Well, you know what? That's not everybody's story. You know, there are people who have strong spiritual ties who would never forgive. So my story is personal and uh, I'm the only one really that can speak for that forgiveness. What transpired for you um, emotionally? where you arrived at the point where you wanted to share this story and and kind of open it up uh, to people who had experienced something similar to you with forgiving Cain being the result. After you lose a loved one to gun violence, and, well, let me not speak for everyone. I was in like this daze in a fog in like shock for a year, you know, because you still have your parents' phone number. You want to visit at Thanksgiving. You know, you want to see them at Christmas time. So for about a year, just disbelief, cloudy disbelief, haziness was in my head. But about, you know, a year, year and a half after that, I said, you know what, we got to tell this story. And it's not even just about me. It's about anyone who loses a loved one to any type of violence. Uh, what do you do in the aftermath? Do you remain upset, mad? Do you remain 
do you have vengeance on your mind at all times or do you embrace love and say, let's let this thing go and let's be a light and an example for others. And so about a year, year and a half after uh, the incident, that's when I really started thinking about doing a film and cataloging other families who had a similar experience to mine, get them on film and interview form and and uh, show uh, the world, how they forgave as well. Did you discover any commonalities um, within these families around what their road to forgiveness looked like and felt like? Yes. The thread was them wanting to move on and to not be paralyzed by something that happened to their family member and to their family. There was this There's a spiritual thread, but then there's this thread of moving on and embracing love over hate. That's the thread that uh, that we see in these interviews. There were a few, though, when we did we interviewed 22 families and out of the 22 families, 18 forgave. But there were two or three that said, no, I'll never forgive the perpetrator. You know, it's it's very easy for somebody whose life has never been touched by something as uh, just just egregious and, and heinous as that that type of criminality to say, if you don't forgive, you're choosing to take on this burden. But in practice, it's got to be so much more difficult. Yes, it's much more difficult because you're facing what happened. You're facing the absence of the loved one, and then you're facing the world, which is always in question or judging your action. You know, I went back on the air about 10 weeks after uh, the murders and, uh, you know, every day in my inbox, you know, uh, and and my show show was a TV show, but it was also a call in show. Mm-hmm. So uh, people would call in and say, man, how did you do this, man? I mean, how, how do you get, how do you wake up in the morning? You know, and, uh, and the key was just to be a light, be a light to people and show them that, you know, they're, you know, yes, the anger is still there, but, um, you know, Martha Nussbaum, University of Chicago professor wrote this great book called Anger and Forgiveness. And in that book, it shows how anger and forgiveness have to be separated. So often people want to say, well, you can't be angry if you forgive. Yes, you can. So there's times when they're one and then there's times when they're totally separate. I'm still angry. Yeah, I'm still upset. I'm mad. I'm, 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 and sometimes I, I even think rage, but it's the forgiveness that becomes the, the balm. It becomes the thing that uh, smooths the day over and we keep my parents' names and their memories alive. Yeah, that's a, that's a crucial and a, and a, and a very interesting distinction. When I was preparing to chat with you, the topic of forgiveness of this sort uh, reminded me of that case, I believe it was the Dallas police officer, Amber uh, Geiger, uh, mm-hmm. who had shot and killed uh, Botham John, who was a man just in his own apartment. Um, I believe her story was she was confused. She thought she was in her apartment. She was sentenced to 10 years. But at the victim impact portion of the trial, his brother 
gave her a hug. He captured the national media's attention. And yet there was a lot of division <laughs> around that. What, what that had to have really um, uh, hit home with you, both the event and the reaction. When Botham John was killed by that police officer in a brutal way, you know, uh, a police officer, of course, made the excuse that she didn't know she was in the right apartment, you know, even though the uh, the rug in front of the door was, you know, something that wasn't in front of the police officer's door. And she shoots, you know, uh, Botham John and then Brant John, the brother of Botham John, as you mentioned uh, forgives the officer in the courtroom and gives her a hug, you know, and people were outraged, but I understood exactly what was on the mind of Brand John, Botham John's uh, brother. Not even what was on his mind, but what was in his heart at mm-hmm. the time. Big difference. Right. You know, our consciousness and our mental capacity and logic sometimes conflict with what's in our heart or our creative side. And when those two are in conflict, there can be destruction. But when you say, you know what, I'm going to lead with my heart today. That's, that's something that a lot of people don't like to, to, uh, um, to discuss because we always think of what's just, you know, and, and murder is never just exactly. Someone has to say, uh, we have to continue with love for the rest of this day. And there's the maybe it's an illusion. Maybe it's a hope that a uh, judicial rendering is going to provide emotional closure. Right. And it doesn't all the time, you know, uh, you know, throw a person, lock them up, throw away the key. OK, yeah, that's fine and dandy, but that still doesn't do anything for your heart. You know, that may do something mentally for your consciousness, you know, or your sense of vengeance, you know, uh, or revenge. But, you know, the, the, the love of forgiveness is much deeper and greater. It, it, it supersedes everything that's on this planet. It supersedes all thought. You saw that with the Mother Emmanuel AME Church. Yes, and absolutely. Nine people gunned down by, you know, that person and the parishioners and family members forgave the young man, you know, that, that, that's, you know, they said, we're praying for you in court. It's (laughs) it's almost a superhuman ability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And along those lines, so making everybody knows, particularly when you're making your first documentary film, and I believe Forgiving Cain is your first documentary film, regardless of all of your experience in the media and as an author and a professor, it's a multi-year process. And as you are making this film, you're also living day to day in a country where on any given day, it does feel like some almost unforgivable events are taking place. How did how did the parallel existences play upon you as, you know, a, a filmmaker and an individual who had embraced uh, this ethos? But also as a citizen who believes in justice and believes in dignity of, of you know, of victims, um, in a, in a context where society feels it almost feels like to 
to forgive is to reveal weakness. It's to give something to the other side. And, you know, I'm wondering uh, if if those thoughts were with you during the making of the film. And as you say, now in post-production. Great question, because love is always somewhat of a contradictory emotion. Mm -hmm. However, when you take love's emotional side and put it into practice, which is an action, that's when things can really change. This is what Martin Luther King was talking about. This is what Gandhi talked about. Jesus Christ. This is what we talk about when we say we can love an enemy. Totally contradictory in the logical world, but it's the only thing that can heal a person or a society. Because if we just start killing each other, <laughs> the society doesn't get better. So somebody has to, you know, bury the hatchet and say, I'm going to love today. You know, does it ever feel, does it ever feel to you? And, and I ask you, you know, you, you, you being a, uh, an African-American man, does it ever feel to you that the victims too often are the ones who have to take the high road? too often are the ones that have to extend that olive branch. And for some, in some instances, they feel like, well, that's just too much. You're asking me that's that's a bridge too far. Mm -hmm. The victims do have to take the high road. It's sad because justice isn't always served. I mean, we saw this in the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s when you had dogs and water hoses put on African-Americans in this country who were citizens and many African-Americans in the nonviolent movement chose not to retaliate. Wow. You talk about high road. You're, you know, you're, you're at a lunch counter and they're pouring milkshakes on your hair and you don't do anything about it. You know, but as Martin Luther King said, he said, let them do to you what they will. The cameras are rolling. <laughs> and so yeah. instead of retaliating, which would have been a bloodbath in the United States, the nonviolence movement, the forgiveness movement exposes the coldness and the hard heartedness of the perpetrator. And then you just hope that the perpetrator feels shame after that and tries to correct the behavior. Many times it never happens, but the love still has to exist. Did you see evidence of that during the marches and the protests over the George Floyd killing, the BLM uh, marches over the summer, and sort of the polarization of so many factions um, around these issues? Did you see evidence uh, of groups fighting for justice doing it in the way that Martin Luther King would have advised. Oh, yeah. Most groups did. You know, uh, the way the stories were told were somewhat distorted at times. Sure. But most of the groups that were marching in the streets were just marching for justice so people could be heard. I mean, the George Floyd, the tapes themselves are extremely revealing. You know, it's not even nine. It's not even eight minutes, 46 seconds anymore. It's it's over, it's well over nine minutes that. That uh, that Derek Chauvin, the police officer's knee was on uh, George Floyd's neck. People got to see that from several camera angles. And, and so, you know, it's it's clear that the only just side is the side that is right. Has nothing to do with, 
you know, well, you know, I'm 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 for police or I'm against police. No, be for justice. <laughs> you know, right. be for right. love and righteousness. That's mm-hmm. what we should be for. Uh, we shouldn't be anti. We should be for love and righteousness. And until we understand what that even means, society's not going to get any better. So it's interesting. Your your position and perspective is an interesting one, also because you're so media literate, and you know from the standpoint of a broadcaster uh, what gets the eyeballs. And oftentimes it is the polarization that gets the eyeballs, questions around forgiveness mm-hmm. and uh, almost approaching matters from a spiritual level is way more nuanced. And it's very difficult to put into a tune in at 11 soundbite. How do you balance those two those two worlds? You balance those two worlds by trying to adequately articulate the differences between forgiveness, criminal, and civil action. So even though a criminal action was done against my parents, they should be punished for the criminal action, the perpetrators, okay? That's the criminal side. Uh, If there's a civil side and there was money taken, Uh, from a victim that should be that's the civil side that should be you know there should be recompense for that Mm -hmm. and then there's the side of love and forgiveness that that's the side that really trumps the uh, civil and the criminal but people don't see it that way they either want somebody locked up or they want the money to compensate okay fine we lock the person up we got the money back what do we do after that? You have to forgive. Staying on the topic of forgiveness and, and kind of broadening the lens a bit, you know, we're we're in a time now in, I would say, in the post-Trump years where some on the left might be thinking about, in their mind, settling scores and which makes those on the right dig in even even more. Now, you wrote a book called President Thug. I'm going to guess that uh, you didn't count yourself among those who were fans of President Trump. It felt to me like, you know, uh, President Biden was in office for about 15 minutes before Republicans were talking about, well, it's time to forgive and forget. Mm -hmm. Is forgiving in some people's mind just a just another way of saying, well, let's just forget until we're back in charge and then and then we'll bring it all up again. How does a nation balance, forgiving and forgetting, but also, let me back up for a minute. Is there such a thing as forgiving and forgetting? And if you forget, are you truly forgiving? Good question. In the realm of politics, lies, mistruths, untruths, distruths are the lifeblood of a lot of politicians because their life is filled with compromise and not always compromise for something better. You many times politicians, they'll do whatever just to get reelected. I mean, if you have a four year term, you're spending two term, you're spending two years of a four year term trying to get reelected. Exactly. And many times you're not doing what the people need or want. You're just doing just enough to get reelected. And, and so with po- politics is a strange beast because there's two much at stake on a personal level. 
And when you put lobbyists in the mix and you put constituents in there and when you put dark money and under the table, it, it, it's just a mess, you know. And then when you pit Republicans against Democrats and you never talk about righteousness and goodness and what's just and poor people being fed and, and people without clothes having, you know, being clothed when you don't talk about that. And you're fighting over political nonsense. That's when you're in trouble. That's when you're in trouble. The spiritualist, the pastor, the rabbi, the iman, any spiritual person has to look far above the politician. Because most of them, even though they have the power, most of them really don't care. It's important for those who do have the vision to be able to recognize what the distraction is and what the true instances of injustice are, which cut across racial and class lines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll give me a classic example in Kentucky, uh, Mitch McConnell state in Kentucky a few years ago. I'll never forget this. This is during the Obama administration. People in Kentucky said, I love that Kentucky Connect. You like Kentucky Connect? I love Kentucky Connect. It's amazing. And Kentucky Connect was was their Obamacare platform. Right. Right. And when the citizens were told that Kentucky Connect was Obamacare, they were like, oh, my God, I didn't know that. It just shows you that the average human being doesn't even read. Well, it also just shows what the triggers for tribalism. Yes. You know, is it's the it was the guy back in 2010 who this went around the world many, many times who was saying, um, you know, keep the government out of my Social Security. Right. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Right. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. You know, we are you know, we tell people to pick themselves up by their bootstraps if we already have bootstraps. But like they say, how can you tell a person to pick up? themselves by their bootstraps if they don't even have boots, you know, and so this is why we have to help fellow man, fellow woman daily so that we can move past this nonsense. You know, we got to start loving people. So you are a uh, as a a television uh, broadcaster, you're a professor, you're an author. Now you're a filmmaker. Which among those, you don't have to choose one. Combinations are acceptable. (laughs) What, What do you feel is uh, the most impactful platform for for you to educate and illuminate in the in the way that you're driven to. So impact on a small scale in terms of number of people influenced in TV. My impact is relatively small because I'm regional. All mm-hmm. right. Chicago area. Uh, when it comes to the book writing, that's a little bit more uh, national and global. Um, uh, when it comes to me being a professor, that's extremely hyper local because I only have a certain number of students each semester. So the most impact and the most powerful medium is film. Uh, forgiving Cain will 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 prove that. You know, once we get distribution. We are going everywhere with this film. Uh, it'll be on one of the streaming platforms. And we've already made it clear that, in fact, one of my um, donors clearly stated that he uh, would like everyone, he would like every funeral home 
to be able to give away the forgiving king. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is powerful. And he agreed to uh, to fund that. You know, he's like, Gerard, we need to give the once it airs on TV and it's after the streaming rights are over, he says everyone needs access to this film. So if anyone dies of gun violence and is struggling with forgiveness, they need to be given either uh, a link of the film or the actual DVD itself. And so we have uh, we have a funder that's willing to do that. So it will touch a lot of people, you know, and that's that's the beginning. I mean, you look at 100,000 to 200,000 violent crimes in the United States, you get 30,000 deaths a year because of guns. You know, uh, Chicago, Illinois here, we've got pretty much homicide highways here on 290, on I-57, the Bishop Ford. There's people getting shot every night on these expressways. And many of these crimes are drug related, you know, because of drug trafficking in Chicago, which nobody talks about. They'll just say seven shot on the South side, eight killed on the West side, but they never talk about why this is happening from the mayor on down. The yeah, all you got to connect the dots. You got to connect the dots. You know, so that's what we're trying to do with this film. We're not trying to save the world. We're just trying to say to clean your heart and to purify, you may want to look at forgiveness. In your, in your role as a, as a professor, um, are you finding that more young people, particularly uh, um, in minority populations, are looking to things like the media, perhaps seeing themselves as the media makers of the future so that different voices are represented and different uh, perspectives are, uh, are, are shown? Yes, we're seeing that more and more, especially with the proliferation of social media. You know, with Instagram, you can go on Instagram TV, broadcast your own show. You know, you can you can do similar things with Facebook. Um, you know, the, the Twitter feed and the bandwidth on Twitter is much better now. And mm-hmm. so there are some things that you can do with Zoom, for instance. I mean, you Zoom and Be Live and a few other platforms. You can do some amazing things. The question is, what do you have to say? Everybody wants to be a star. Everybody <laughs> wants attention. But the question is, can you write a script? Can you say something that will change an individual or that will edify someone? Can you bring new knowledge to the table? If not, then don't broadcast. You know, uh, you're just someone out there that's just trying to be famous. But with fame comes responsibility. And and because lots of people are listening, if you post something and it gets 100 likes, whether the person read, watched or looked at the picture, film or or your comment, 100 people liked it, which means that they went to your site, clicked like and they were influenced for that moment. So you got to make sure it's something positive. What is keeping you inspired and hopeful these days, whether it's in in the media, you know, or whether it's just in your day to day life? I think the inspiration is knowing that we have the potential of creating a better society. If Filmmakers Collaborative did not exist, I know that this would have probably taken Another three or four years because it would have been hard to fundraise because this topic is like you said, it's nuanced. You know, who wants to give money to a film about forgiving murderers? Right. You know, and but with Filmmakers Collaborative, it gave us the shot in the arm that, you know, put our 
put our material and our potential out in the world so people could give to a trusted fiscal sponsor, Filmmakers Collaborative, so that we could do the work. You know, and so, uh, you know, McCormick Foundation in Chicago, the Field Museum Foundation in Chicago, they trust Filmmakers Collaborative. So when they said, hey, McClendon needs film for needs funds for this film. Does he have a fiscal sponsor? Yes. Filmmakers Collaborative made things a lot easier. And remind me how you came to be aware of Filmmakers Collaborative. I was browsing the internet one day. <laughs> God love the internet. <laughs> it was, it was, it, and, and, you know, I had talked with some, some good friends. I had spoken with a few people who had, who used filmmaker, film, film, uh, filmmakers collaborative as a physical sponsor. Uh, the young lady who did the film on, uh, the film, let me get it right. The young lady who did the film on uh, Lorraine Hansberry. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's uh, Tracy Heather Strain. Man, let me tell you something about Tracy. I called Tracy after I saw the film, read the description, saw how she raised funds, saw that she was using, you know, the same software I was using. You know, I called her up. I think uh, either Kathleen or Laura gave me her number. I forget how it worked or they emailed her or something. Tracy calls me. We talked on the phone at least an hour. And I'm telling you, it helped me in that one hour conversation. It got me through some it. it, She helped me to get through terrain that I probably wouldn't have been able to get through. So with her connection and then you guys are all over the Internet, that helped and we had done a Kickstarter campaign right before Filmmakers Collaborative. And uh, and then that's when we jumped, jumped aboard. Yeah, Tracy is as personable as she is talented and intelligent. And, and that's considerable on all three fronts. Um, I, I had the opportunity to work with Tracy on a couple of projects about 20 years ago. I can't believe it was 20 years, but yeah. just between you and me, it was 20 years ago. Yeah. 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 But time does fly. Yes. Um, well, Jared, I want Gerard, I want you to please come back and chat with us when the film is complete, when you're out of post-production, when the film is ready for the world. Uh, we'll we'll give it a making media now introduction to 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 our listeners and to viewers. And we want to be keeping track of where the film is available, meaning which streaming services. If you do happen to go the film festival route, uh, that's something we would want to know also. So Excellent. I uh, I thank you for taking the time. Can't wait to see the finished product and to chat with you about it. Michael, I appreciate you. Tell everyone at Filmmakers Collaborative FC that I said hello and thank you. Thank you much, because without you guys, this doesn't get done. It's It's been a pleasure. All right. We'll chat soon. God bless you now. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye.